the Mike Tomlin Game Day Podcast with Steelers Digest Editor Bob Labriola. Okay, Coach, at your news conference last Tuesday about the fans at Heinz Field, you said, but more than anything, they inspire us. Can a crowd really inspire grown men who are professionals? It's no question. It's about their relationship with the game of football and the people that love football. Um, Oftentimes people ask me, you know, what is it like instructing those rich professional athletes, man, they've had a player-coach relationship all their life. They they play, we instruct, they understand the nature of that relationship, and it's a very natural thing. The same thing goes for the fans. Man, they come out of those tunnels, man. Uh, they're inspired by the presence and the enthusiasm and the love that they get from their fans, just like they were at their universities or their high schools when they broke the banner that they put back together every week. <laughs> it's just certain things in terms of your relationship with the game that don't change no matter what level you're playing at. And gaining inspiration from those that appreciate football is one of them. How does it manifest itself, the inspiration? You know, just in genuine enthusiasm uh, and gas. Um, man, it, it, it requires a lot of energy um, to play this game and to play it for 60-plus minutes at times. And you need that gas. You need that energy. And, and it has to be summons up from somewhere. Um, and no question they get, they get assistance from, from support of, of, of onlookers. Another thing that fires up Steeler fans for sure are the color rush jerseys. Color Rush wearing those tonight in the game against Buffalo. Do the players get into that at all? You know, the how they look, how they make them feel, or is that just more for the fans? The, are you kidding me? Uh, the skill guys are very much into the fashion of it. <laughs> and, and the all blacks, they love it. Uh, they wear it every week if they would let them. Do you tell the big guys black is slimming? Uh, you know, I just don't have a lot of conversations <laughs> with, along the fashion lines with the with the 350s. Uh, but the, the skill guys, it, it is very much in the, at the center of discussions. Another thing you said last Tuesday that was entering, interesting was that good defenses can control the outcome of significant games and that that's an axiom of football. You know, with the way the game is played at the NFL level now, with the way the rules generally fall in favor of the offense, why do you still believe that's true? I think last year's Super Bowl is is an example of that. It was funny leading up to the game how everyone talked about how explosive those offenses were and uh, how the game might unfold, and both defenses showed up at that stadium and had something to do about it. And I just think that that's – that's football. I think if you got a dominant defense, particularly big men up front, um, there's nobody that controls a, a game uh, other than the quarterback position the way that elite pass rushers are capable of controlling the game. Because every time you drop back and throw the ball, a bomb could go off. You could get sacked, fumbled. They could create the type of disruption that provides the defense the ball, and that's significant. I think that's why pass rush and defense alignment are compensated the way that they're compensated in our game. Uh, there's a lot of significance in that. Um, and so uh, I just have always had that belief. But I came up in this league as a young secondary coach working with a front that comprised guys like Warren Sapp, a gold jacket guy, and Simeon Rice. And, uh, and I saw weekly uh, what, what that provided. Can a defense, uh, a good defense, control a significant game psychologically as well as physically the way you just described? Uh, I felt that as a young coach as well when you know we faced the likes of the greatest show on turf. Um, and um, you always slowed them down a little bit with physicality. 
Um, the rules of the game have kind of changed some of that in terms of player safety and the way that uh, safeties roam the middle of the field and so forth. But uh, I think intimidation and physicality uh, will always be an element of play. I want to take you back to the 2017 NFL draft. Uh, why T.J. Watt in the first round? He was a really good football player. You know, we were picking extremely late in the round, and I just think when you're picking that late in the round, you look at who can play the game. Um, it's the same thought process I think that we went through when when we picked Cam Hayward um, when, when we when we select him late late in the first round in a in a similar way. Um, when you're that late in the round, you better trust your eyes, and by trust your eyes, I mean what you see on tape. And uh, what we saw on tape are the same things that we see here. You know, maybe he's not 265 pounds like Bud or run as fast as, you know, Khalil Mack and guys like that. Uh, But that's probably why he was available. But his tape spoke volumes, and uh, it has continued to speak volumes. A lot of times you've said that when you go to college pro days, you'll pick a significant player from the current class and say, who am I going to be coming back here next year to see? Did that happen at Wisconsin, and did they point to T.J. Watt? Um, I, I didn't go the year before, um, but it, it was interesting uh, because oftentimes you, you, you play these games about who you're interested in, and, and so I didn't spend a lot of time with T.J., um, but I spent a lot of time watching him. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about him. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's very much um, into his preparedness and his – and his performance, and it was displayed just watching him over the 24-hour period. Uh, we went to dinner the night before, sat across from each other. You know, we were polite, uh, but it wasn't a lot of talking going on, and I appreciate that about him as well. <laughs> um, uh, beyond his physical ability, um, did the fact that he came from an NFL family, you know, have anything to do with the things you were just describing? Um, you know, his preparedness, his, I don't know, his um, – um, demeanor, his attitude about the profession. I, I proceeded with the assumption that I was going to see something a little different from a maturity standpoint in regards to the ball. I think that's something that that all of these guys that have football pedigree um, share, um, and, and it's an attractive trait. And I, you know, that's Cam Hayward comes from a football background. Uh, the Edmonds brothers uh, come from a football background. Uh, obviously, uh, TJ comes from a football background. Um, it, it it makes it it easy. You 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 have some understanding that 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 they know what it is you're talking about when you're having certain conversations with them because they've been around it all their lives. Okay, when you talk about young players, you often mention wanting to limit their exposure because too much exposure can be negative. How can some exposure be good, but more of that become a negative? You know, uh, I think exposure is good because you gain experience. Um, but it's, let's take the example of a football game. Um, it, it takes a guy that knows what he's doing and has some experience to play through fatigue as fatigue set, sets in over the course of a large number of snaps. But if you lack experience, then that, that downside element of fatigue is going to be more dramatic. And so that's just an example of what I talk about when I talk about a young guy having too much exposure is not a good thing. Uh, the drop-off in a veteran player in terms of production, in terms of uh, attention to detail, in terms of performance is going to be less dramatic than somebody that lacks experience. Uh, the level of mental mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. 
because experience is is an asset to you uh, when negativity sets in in a number of ways, and fatigue is probably the most uh, dramatic when it comes to exposure. But then they would have to be exposed to that at some point in that situation to understand it and to learn how to push through it, right? Yeah, but you you know you grow incremental incrementally is probably the best asset. Uh, it's probably the best avenue to do it. You know, you give them. 10 to 12 offensive snaps in a football game, he handles that well. You give him 18 to 24 snaps, he handles that well. You give him 32 to 36 snaps, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to just throwing them to the wolves and and having someone play 65 snaps of football. Uh, NFL coaches, major college coaches, often preach the importance of attention to detail. You just mentioned that. Uh, When it comes to preparation for an upcoming opponent, what might be an example of the kind of details that are important? The minor adjustments that go along with things that we do on a regular basis that's catered toward a specific opponent. We run this play every week, but we're blocking it this way because of the way they play their right defensive end. And so we know this play, but the attention to detail is the adjustment that makes it go this week because of how they play their personnel or special traits that their personnel might have for instance. So week in and week out, there's a bulk of calls, offense, defense, and special teams that comprise what it is that we do, and those calls are unchanging. We have a personality, particularly as you get to this portion of the season. But you you doctor those things, you cater those things, you you craft those things for, for certain specific matchups relative to the opponent, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about as coaches being on the details. And that's why in one week you can be on the details and do similar things the next week but not be on the details because that other animal, that other variable, that unknown, the opponent, their schematics is what's changing. Uh, if you look at the Bills, today's opponent, they're 9-4, and four, very much in the hunt for a playoff spot. But their offense is 20th in the league in scoring, and their defense doesn't have a lot of splash, only 16 takeaways. That's tied for 17th in the league. How are they getting the job done? You know, they're, they're, they're scoring one more point than their opponent. And, um, you know, I imagine people are saying similar things about us. Uh, our offensive rankings are not very pretty. Uh, I looked at the stats this week with 32nd in the NFL in red zone offense. Uh, how the hell are we 8-5, and five, 32nd in the NFL in red zone offense? We're finding alternate ways to supplement it. We're challenging our defense uh, to provide the short field for our offense and score themselves. We're challenging our special teams unit to do the same. We were able to have a punt return a week ago. I think good teams find a way to complement themselves and lean on their strengths and work to minimize their weaknesses. And that's, to me, the catalyst of getting you out of the stadium with the necessary win of the week relative to who you're competing against. At the end of the day, we all have warts. Um, you got a chance to, to advance and stay on the road that gets increasingly narrow if you're aware of your warts and you work to minimize them. What have you learned about this group of Steelers over the course of this season so far? You know that they're a the type of group that are willing fighters. And it's always good when you, when you feel that, when you see that. Um, it's not the Swiss Army knife. It doesn't solve all the problems. But largely we got a group that runs toward the fight. And um, when you got that, you got a chance.